first reading is taken from 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 12, and is on page 1153 of the Bibles. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given this one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, then every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Second reading uh, this morning is taken from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. Uh, it's page t 1031 in the Bible. Jesus is rejected at Nazareth. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the, the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, 
and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, many thanks to Alex and Vida for those readings. If you've got your Bibles, could I encourage you to turn to the epistle reading that we had first, which is in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through to the end, and that's on page 1153. We're going to be mainly looking at that today, but we're going to touch very briefly on the gospel reading as well. So 1 Corinthians, you just need to point yourself to yourself and say, it's me. He wants to do this stuff through me. It's challenging stuff because we know that we're not worthy, we're not capable, we're not right. And yet, Christ says, no, I'm choosing you to be my instruments of my glory, to make a difference in the world. And that's, what, of course, what we aim to be like here at St. Jude's. Jesus' love transforming, changing lives from the heart of South Sea. It's what we're about. It's what Jesus wants to do through us. Some well-known words from Bill Hybels, the American church leader, who describes what this could look like for us together. There is nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions and frees the oppressed and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity of human suffering, the church has greater capacity for healing and wholeness. Still, to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. The local church is the hope of the world. I wonder if you believe that. I wonder if you could believe that that could be true here in our midst. Well, in the epistle reading, Paul gives us two fundamental ways that this could happen for us. Two ways that St. Jude's and every church should be. That God, that Christ by his Spirit might transform the world around us. And let me dig into those very quickly. Firstly, the church is meant to be a place where everybody counts and everybody belongs. In our passage, the epistle reading, Paul uses an extended image of the church as being like the human body with different parts, but all united into the same single body. And he shows great understanding of the human body. I don't know if there are any medics in the room, but going through this, I thought, he actually understands what's going on. He's not just a theologian. He's a scientist of types as well. He understands that the human body needs every single part, and every single part is there for a purpose. 
And this is even though all the parts are very different. I want you to have a look around the church and realize that every single one of you is different to those around you. I don't see any identical twins at the moment. You are all different. Look around. Look around. You're different to the person sitting next to you, in front of you. You're different. You're different parts of God's church. And yet you're still part of that one body, Christ's body, his one church. And in verse 13, Paul highlights why. He says, For you are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. That when you made that decision to follow Christ, God said, I'm going to show up in your life. I'm going to be part of your life. I'm going to inhabit your very being by my Holy Spirit. Paul later writes that no one can say Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been at work since that moment you first chose to follow Jesus. And he's present in your life right now. But not just in your life, but in the life of the person next to you who follows Jesus, and the life of the person at the end of the row who follows Jesus, the life of the person the other side of Portsmouth who might be worshipping right now Jesus, and the life of the worshipper in perhaps Asia or Africa this Sunday who will be worshipping Jesus. Every single person has the Spirit of God living inside of them, the same Spirit, and therefore uniting every single person to each other in his oneness, in who he is. That's the unity we have with each other, though we're very different. And there's no greater unity, there's no stronger bond than the bond of God himself uniting us. You could add to Paul's, so this is true whether you're a male or a female, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're well off in terms of a claim to the world, or whether you're downtrodden and forgotten. This is true for every single person who follows Christ. And the implications of this are huge. They're huge. On a global scale, it means that the church is the most diverse group of people the world has ever seen. Right now, across the globe, there is a Christian or a Christian presence in every single nation. There's not a single nation where there isn't a Christian. And in most of them, there are churches, worshipping communities, who proclaim the same Lord and Savior and unified together like nothing ever seen before in history. Because it comes through Jesus, through His Spirit unifying us together. The most diverse group of people the world has ever seen. We know that in heaven there's that picture of Revelation 6. Before the throne there'll be someone from every tribe and tongue and nation. Whatever way you cut the human population, someone's going to be there, united together, worshipping the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't this amazing? And for the watching world, this has profound effects. It says that there's something true. There's something powerful about the Christian gospel that despite our natural tribalism, our natural desire to create cliques, something greater is at work, uniting these Christians, making us one body. I came across a story recently from the 1990s, and you all know that in Africa there are a number of genocides related to tribal warfare, and especially to do with the Hutus and the Tutsis. And uh, in Burundi, which was nearby Rwanda, which saw the worst of it, there was a campus, a university campus, where there were both 
Hutu students and Tutsi students. And in the midst of kind of increasing, ramping up tension, a number of the Hutus were killed by the Tutsis, and the Tutsis fled to the mountains to escape. But amazingly, the Hutu Christians followed them with provisions for what they need, and they were completely rejected by their families as a result. But the witness to the nation was huge. The non-Christian principal of the university said this, our culture is disintegrated, disintegrating. And on our campus, there are three types of people. There are Hutus, there are Tutsis, and there are Christians. If our culture is to survive, we must follow the example of the Christians. Applying these things more locally to us, if it is that actually every single person here in this room that follows Jesus is part of Christ's body. That means that no one, no one can say, I do not belong to his church. That you're not a part of it. You actually are God's church. It isn't the vicar, it isn't the building, it isn't the organizational structure. It's you. You are the church. When do you realize that? You're the church. You may say things about the church that are disparaging and get frustrated with the church, but actually, it's you. <laughs> it's you. You are the church. John Wimber, who was the founder of the Vineyard Movement of Churches, once told the story of how after Sunday service, he was collared by a very frustrated church member who had come across a homeless man during his week and tried to get help. And he said this, This man needed a place to stay, food and support, while he gets on his feet and look for a job. I am really frustrated. I tried telephoning the church office, but no one could see me and they couldn't help me. I finally ended up having to let him stay with me for the week. Don't you think the church should take care of people like this? And Wimber said that he thought for a moment and replied, it looks like the church did. It looks like the church did but challenging for us because we like to pass the book. But you are the church of God. You are the ones that Christ wants to use to transform the world. It's you. No one else. You are the church, the body of Christ. Well, that was the first point. The second from this passage is that we are to be a church where everyone plays their part. Everyone plays their part. There's a well-known story of a young police officer at... Uh, Hendon Police College in North London, who was being, in, uh, being examined for his final exam to become an officer. And he came to a question that said the following, you are on patrol in outer London when an explosion occurs in a gas main in a nearby street. On investigation, you find that a large hole has been blown in the footpath and that there is overturned a, vo- a, a van lying on its side. Inside the van, there is a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognize the woman as the wife of your divisional inspector who is away in the USA at present. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance, and you realize that he is a man wanted for armed robbery. 
Suddenly, a man runs out of a nearby house shouting that his wife is expecting a baby and the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. Another man is crying for help, having been blown into an adjacent canal by the explosion and he cannot swim. Bearing in mind the provisions of the Mental Health Act, describe in a few words what actions you would take. (laughs) And the officer thought for a moment, picked up his pen and wrote... I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. (laughs) In the church, in Christ's body, there is no scope for us not playing our parts, for taking off our duties and mingling with the crowd, but actually we're called to play the roles assigned to us, just like in the human body. And that's what Paul says in the passage as it proceeds. That just as there are lots of different organs and parts of the body, each of them is needed for a flourishing life. And just as in the church there are different parts, different people doing different things, each is needed for a flourishing life that makes a difference to the world around it. The context of the passage is of some in the church in Corinth, proclaiming themselves as high and mighty. We've got amazing spiritual gifts and have prominent roles in the church and others feeling demeaned by this and second class. And Paul writes saying, no, that's not the way it should be. And he points to the human body and says, just look at the human body. And two comic pictures, he says, imagine the different parts of the human body rebelling against each other, saying, just because I'm not an ear, the eye says, then I don't belong to the body. Or just because I'm not a hand, the foot says, I don't belong to the body. It just wouldn't happen. Or he tells you to imagine another comic image of the whole body just being of one gifting, of one role, a giant eye, for example. Well, where would its sense of hearing be? He says, no, that's not how it works. You know this. Don't be stupid. You know that this isn't how it works that every single part, big or small, prominent or in the background, works together for the common good, for the life of the church, for the body of Christ to flourish. And if they don't, well, it could, it could spell disaster and a complete breakdown. A couple of weeks ago, I had the uh, great privilege of uh, traveling to Washington, D.C., and uh, I'm a bit of a, a space and air geek, if I'm honest. And I spent a lot of time in the Smithsonian Air and Space Institute, uh, which has got the original Apollo 11 lunar uh, return module. And it was awesome. And it just heard all about things that I didn't know about to do with the mission. And they mentioned also a lot about another mission, which was Apollo 13 which actually, unfortunately, wasn't as successful. Maybe you'll know the story, probably seen the film, that famous line that Tom Hanks says, Houston, we have a problem, probably understatement of the century. That on the approach to the moon, uh, their main oxygen tank blew. And they somehow, through some amazing feats of engineering, managed to come back to the Earth. But interestingly, perhaps what you don't know is that when they investigated afterwards what had gone wrong, they found that it was actually just a single switch, not much bigger than this. They'd been wired up to the wrong voltage. 
And because it'd been wired up to the wrong voltage, that led to a chain effect that affected the, the oxygen tank and the compartment and its temperature, which ignited the oxygen, which meant that it blew up, which meant that a multi-billion dollar mission was unsuccessful. Just a single part, not playing its role properly, led to complete and utter disaster. And I don't want to say that things can be that dire in the church, but it can be that just a few parts of the church not working properly, not doing all that God has called them to do in their roles, can lead to disaster. There's a need for each and every one of us to be doing what God has assigned us to do. And it might be that your first reaction to that is, well, the role that I've been assigned isn't very big, actually. It's just a small thing. It won't make any difference if I do or don't do what I do. Well, Paul addresses that. He says the following, On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts we think are less honorable are treated with special honor. He talks about the difference between weaker and stronger parts of the body. We think this means the difference between perhaps the internal organs that need to be protected, slightly weaker, and the external parts of our body, hands and feet, that actually most of the time don't need much protection. And he says, well, yes, that's true. There are stronger and weaker parts. But if you look at the human body, you realize that the weaker parts are actually more vital for the body working. You can live without a hand or a foot. You can't live without a heart or a liver. And so it is in the church. That often those parts that are thought to be weaker and less important are especially vital. The church ceases to function with things like those who organize and administrate. Those who look after the sick and the needy in pastoral care. Those that are involved right now in our children's work and our youth work. Church just wouldn't work. Just wouldn't work. It would cease to work. It would cease operation to the mutual detriment of us all. And if you're in one of those roles that isn't really publicly acknowledged, I just want to say, you are so needed. You are so needed and important to us. You're vital to this church. And the second contrast that Paul brings out is those between the ones that seem to be presentable and given great honor and those that are unpresentable and not given much honor, which actually we give great honor to in, in course. And he, we think, according to the Bible commentators, is referring to, and they're all unanimous in this, the sex organs, that actually the things that aren't particularly publicly presentable, we actually treat especially with honor, with protection, with dignity in our lives. And you'll be glad to know there's no direct analogy between that and the church. <laughs> he doesn't draw anything out like that. But he draws out a principle, actually. And the principle is this, that those that seem to not be able to contribute much or even anything less presentable, less honorable, we count as having greater honor because of who you are. And it may be here that you feel that you can't do much for the life of the church because of external circumstances, because of age or health, that actually what you bring to the table isn't much. And I just want to say that Jesus honors you, and so do we. We honor you. 
We honour you for blessing you, blessing us all with your presence Sunday by Sunday. We honour you because you make our lives better. We honour you. You know that well-known story of the widow's mite in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is looking at wealthy givers at the temple and they're all putting in their great gifts to great acclaim and receiving applause. And then he spots this poor widow who puts in a mite, just a few pennies worth of money. And Jesus honors her and says, look at her. They all gave out of their abundance, but she's given all that she could. She's especially honored. So if you are here and you feel that you're giving all that you can, it isn't much. Jesus honors you in this place, and so do we. Well, let me just remind us before we pray of these things that if we do want to see a church and we long to be that church that changes the world, that is Christ's hand and feet and whole body at work in our community, we need to realize that every single one of us is part of it. Every single one of you is part of it. And that every single one of you has a part to play. Maybe you need to discover what it is afresh. Maybe you need encouragement to keep on playing it. But we all need to be in that place, serving Christ, seeing him glorified in this city. I encourage you to stand and we're going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've given that task to us, humble and weak as we are, your body, to be doing the same things that you did so wonderfully. And Lord, we're in one sense overwhelmed by the task, but in another sense, we want to give ourselves to it. And we pray, Holy Spirit of God, that came upon Jesus to anoint him for that work. Come upon us afresh. Come upon me for the work you've called me to be part of. And it may be that you're aware of what your part is, which is great. You've discovered it. And this is the time to ask God, God, I need your power to fulfill it, to flourish in it, to bring my contribution, small or big big as it might be. Lord, empower me for the work of ministry, for the work of witness to you, of following you as your disciple. Empower me. Help me, Lord. I want to see the world around me change. And it might be also that you're just not sure what your part is. You know you belong, but you're not sure what it is. And this is a chance just to ask God, please would you show me? Would you help me to find out what that might be? Lord, direct my path. May I be a blessing to others as you've blessed me. And if you're in here and you feel that you don't have much to give, Lord Jesus, I pray right now that they who feel little and weak might know your honouring, our honouring of you. May the spirit of glory rest upon you in this time we pray. Amen. Amen.